Okay, today I want to share with you guys um, a word, uh, a continuation from our End Times Ezekiel uh, series. We have gone from chapters 33 on watchmen, 34 shepherds, 35, you know, um, uh, 36, 37, the dry bones. Now we've come to 38, right? We've come quite a way, you know, we've covered a lot of the famous parts of Ezekiel, like dry bones, you know, like watchmen. And then there's like one more famous one coming up in a few weeks time, which is the one where the temple and the water comes out and then it goes from ankle deep to waist deep, right? That's another famous scene. Today we are in, in, um, in, in a part of Ezekiel that is well known in some ways, uh, not touched in many ways, okay? Um, probably not least of all because it references something that also pops up in Revelation, you know? So, so we are going to go right in, okay? We're going to be looking at Gog and Magog. It's a huge epic battle. If, the, if this whole Ezekiel series was like, a, was like a film, like a blockbuster film, this would be the final battle. This will be the one where the walking trees come in and everything comes in and every, everybody comes in for a huge fight, right? If you read uh, C.S. Lewis's um, uh, Narnia series, this would be book seven, right? The last battle, right? Um, so we're going to jump right in. Let me show you how we're going to go uh, today. First, I'm going to summarize uh, chapters 38 and 39. So that's the first movement, okay, is that we're going to do a summary. So if, so, so that's part of the Bible reading, okay, so if I get to like, if I spend like 15 minutes on this and I'm still reading the text, don't, 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 don't panic and go like, oh my gosh, Fergus is never going to finish the Bible, the sermon today because he's still reading the Bible, you know, that's kind of like the first movement, okay, it's just going through two chapters of the Bible. Then I'm going to share with you two points that I hope can lend you strength, lend you courage, lend you assurance as you step into these 40 days of fasting, praying and battling in a spiritual way and what spiritual battle really could look like for all of us, right? And what it sometimes does not, should not look like. Okay, for all of us as you enter 40 days. You guys, how many of you guys, you really want your 40 days to be powerful? Raise your hands. Yeah? Okay, you want to see your 40 days being powerful? How many of you, there is one thing in your life and in your heart that you want to see victory over? Can you name that one thing? Okay, can you name it to yourself? Is there one thing you can name, right? If, if there's something you can actually say publicly, one public thing you can say, right? Okay, uh, uh, um, that one, one, one victory you want to say. Put it into the Zoom chat right now. I want everybody to go to the Zoom chat and if there is one thing you want to see victory over Malaysia, okay, um, go over to the Zoom chat and just throw it all in because I'm going to do one myself. I'm going to say uh, so many things, right? So many things. Parliament, right? Okay, Parliament is one, right? There's so many things we want to see victory in, you know, a COVID-free zone. We want to see freedom. We want to see people overcome mental health problems. You know, the battle does belong to God. Do you want to see healing in someone's life? Even for your own personal friends, I want to see, I want to see salvation. We want to see revival? Yes. We want to see the fear of God over the land? Yes. Amen. Thank you so much for participating. I want to see borders open so people can travel and so Lim Jackson can come back to Malaysia and be PM here, right? When in physical church, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'll see all of our Singaporeans thrive in Singapore. That's one thing I want to see, right? Um, so, my friends, 
This is what we want. Now, I want you to hold on to all these victory things that you want to see because at the end of today's service, we're going to pray into victory. Amen. We're going to pray into victory. Now, before we get there, we got to do the hard work. Okay, now this is a pattern in the Bible. You want to get to the glorious parts, you got to suffer with Christ, right? If not, you won't be glorified with Him, right? Provided you first suffer with Him. You want to get to the table laid out before your enemies where your cup overflows and your head is anointed with oil. First, you have to go through the valley of what? First, you have to go through the valley of shadow of death. Then you reach the other side where there is a table set before you, uh, set before your enemies, right? Amen. You want to get to resurrection power of the cross. SIBKL at Sungai Buloh, if you want to see resurrection power, you got to be prepared to get through Gethsemane with Christ. And in Christ, go to the cross, pick up your cross daily, walk with Him, follow Him. That is the access pathway to resurrection power. It's not goyang kaki, it's not teleportation, it is not short-circuiting the difficult parts of our Christian walk. Access to the most glorious parts of our Christian life and relationship with Jesus means that we go through the valley of shadow of death first and that is what we are doing collectively as a nation for us here in Malaysia we're like the last to open up in the world but guess what I believe that all this via dollarizing is going to result in a glorious end point because the Lord hears our prayers and our cries he is not so far from us that he refuses to act he is hearing and the cries of the saints are collected in that bowl right and one day one day it is going to tip over and when the cries of the saints accrue to the point that it tips over it becomes an incense before the throne room of god and he will say i have heard the cry of my malaysian church i have been hearing so hold on to that one victory thing that you are praying for and you are waiting for and we're gonna go into ezekiel 38 and 39 this is the most epic battle in the bible i am not over I'm, I'm not overselling it this is the last battle of all let's get into it let's get into it okay all right the word of the lord came to me son of man set your face toward gog in the land of magog the chief prince of meshech and tubal and prophesy against him and say thus says the lord god that says Adonai Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O God, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. What's happening here? Who is this God? He has shown up with no track record. He has shown up with no historical uh, uh, um, context, whatever. Suddenly, there is this prince, chief prince somehow, of Tubal and Meshach. Who is God? Is he a man? Is God a man? Is God a nation? Is God a demon? Actually, Gog is not historical. It, Gog it was not, in Ezekiel's time, was not a geopolitical player in the land. Okay, there is no nation called Gog. Okay, there were all the lot of other nations, but there was no nation called Gog. So one thing we know is that it was not a geopolitical uh, um, uh, player in Ezekiel's time. Was Gog 
was Gog a geopolitical player in the days ahead? Right, in the days ahead? Mm, no, right? Because there's never been a nation called Gog in that sense. Now, Magog, and then it says chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, right? Meshach and Tubal can be traced back to the lineage of Ham, right? Of Ham. So Lillian, uh, 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 making that comment, um, uh, it's the line is true. The chief prince, princing over Meshach and Tubal. Yes, those two nations come from Ham. Ham is one of the sons of Noah. Um, uh, the Jews come from Shem, the brother. Okay. Now, is it then a present day power? Right? Is God then a representation, a representative, or if you can say an archetype? They're not always the same, okay? But, but let, let me propose this to you. People and Christians and powers of the world have been positing who is God for a long time now. The most immediate one that people started to say, hey, I think that's God, was Alexander the Great. During the intertestamental time, the 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament, right? The Greek Hellenistic Empire uh, 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 pretty much covered like huge swaths of everything from Babylon through uh, to the Holy Land, through to Europe. And in that time, it was thought that maybe God is, the elect, the, uh, the, the, is Alexander the Great, right? Um, and then uh, people started to posit different things. Sometimes people, some people, some commentators have said maybe it's Egypt, you know, because Egypt is an is a old-time foe of of uh, God's people, and then as we go into more uh, contemporary history, or more recent history, you have uh, people positing that God could be the Soviet Union. I think this was a really popular view um, uh, during the Cold War, um, not least of all because somewhere in the text it says that the enemy comes from the north. And if you draw a straight line north of Jerusalem, you get to Moscow. So a lot of people uh, used to say that Gog represents the Soviet Union, right? Um, I think, in fact, I think it was uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, the former US president, uh, during the time he was governor of California, openly said that Gok is Russia, right? It is. Now, Soviet Union as a bloc has, has dissolved, but Russia still exists. The Schofield Bible also says that, uh, uh, the, uh, calls it as uh, it's, it, it's the it's Soviet Union, right? Um, uh, so, more, in more recent times, uh, W. Bush said that it was Iraq. Sorry, I meant to say W. Bush said that it was Iraq. Um, and, uh, and, and other people have since said that maybe it's ISIS, maybe it's all the Arab nations, you know. Um, now, you know what? There is so much speculation. Now, you and I, we can stand here and speculate all day, right? And then there's more history to put away, more geopolitical conflicts to put away, you know. And then who knows what our, our speculations might look like in 15, 20 years' time. But that's not the point. Maybe... Could it be that Gog is an archetype? That an archetype meaning that Gog is the ultimate representation of every time a nation rises up to fight and oppress and push against the work and people of God. Right? So that every time a nation rises up in economic wealth and military power and puts its trust in these two things, in order to subjugate and, uh, and uh, oppress the people of God, that that is a type of Gog. 
And if you read it that way, then you can say that Communist China was a type of Gog. You might say that, yes, to some extent, ISIS is a type of Gog. That, that, and, and you can go on, right? You can go on, and depending on how you perceive the, the, all these things, you can say that a lot of nations have a spirit of Gogness. Right? You could say that, right? And But one thing we do know for sure, and I will show you this as we go along, that there will be a final battle. There will be a last battle. And my inclination... Now, you can read this many ways, okay? And, and, and let's be fair to all the different people who read it all kinds of different ways. By the way... Sungai Bulo Church, if there's one way I want to disciple you, I don't really want to convert you to my views on, on eschatology. I'm, actually, I'm not so particular about that. I'm more interested to disciple you as a Christian body to be able to live side by side with people who have different views of eschatology. I think that is even more important. I'm not so interested in converting you to my views. I hold some views. I try to keep them maybe just like to, to small, smaller platforms, you know, because if not, then it, it, these things can easily get misconstrued. But I'm more interested when we gather as a big family like this to help all of us uh, uh, stand side by side with one another. So whether you read Gog as Russia or whether you read Gog as the Islamic nations in the Arab or whether you read Gog as something else, it's okay. Let's learn to, to zero in on the essentials and see how we can enter this 40 days battle in a strong uh, and, and faithful way to Christ. Amen? So my blow church, do I have your agreement that that's more important? Yes? I, I Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is really close to my heart. I don't want secondary issues to split us, right? Okay, so so who could be God? I will come back to this at the very end. Okay, I will. I, I, I'm just going to put a bookmark here and, and, and let's move on, right? Now, what does Gog do, right? Gog, in the, in the preceding verses, okay, let's just continue clicking through this and let's take a look, right? Okay, what does God do? He gathers a confederation or a coalition of the enemies of Yahweh, right? He pulls them all together. You can see it in the text, right? Um, now, by the way, I'm going to be summarizing on the page half of your screen, you know, because the text, two chapters, is too long for us to go. We'll never finish, you know. So on the white side, it's for you to check me out, right? Right, that I'm not making this up, you know, and that when I summarize the text, I am not uh, doing it faithlessly, I'm doing it faithfully, you know. But essentially, you can see it on your screen, right? Persia, Kush, Put, uh, uh, Beth, Togama, you know, Goma, uh, all these nations, okay, which they don't exist as geopolitical players anymore, okay? But people who are observing will say, ah, these guys, you know, today is present day, for example, Turkey. This is present day, you know, so and, so and, and, and all that right now. That's a fair way to go about doing it, okay? So, not a problem there, okay? But if you have other methodologies for reading this, it's a-okay, right? Now, God gathers an army of a coalition of God's enemies. So there are all these other players who are God's enemies and they may have different reasons why they are God's enemies, but Gog unites them with one common cause, which is to battle against Yahweh. Okay? And Gog does this and they go to war, right? What is God's plan? In all this, why fight? How fight? You know, what is the motive behind it? Let's look at the next slide, right? Gog's plan is to attack the land 
of Israel. Okay, I don't even want to, I want to be faithful enough to even say this, right? Verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord God, on that day, thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. Okay, so they're going against the land. In doing so, they're going against the people who are living on the land. They will plan and devise to, verse 11, attack defenseless people. Part of the plan is to attack unarmed civilians in domestic peace. That is the plan of God. God's plan was, is not to attack the walled cities or the heavily armed. God's plan is to whack the defenseless people. The aim, verse 12, is to seize spoil, to carry plunder, to gain resource. That is God's plan. Now, I'm going to say something that is unconnected, but it just, it, I just got reminded of it. If you want to support a cause of something happening in the Middle East, please make sure that your cause that you are supporting does not support and continue to extend the depopulation and displacement of our Christian Palestine brothers. If you want to support a cause of something that is happening in the Middle East, please make sure that the cause that you are throwing your weight behind does not, does not support land weight to the continued depopulation and displacement of Christians in Palestine. Okay, because they too are defenseless people, they too are unarmed civilians living in peace. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Alright, so what happens next, right? They are going to attack places that were previously depopulated that have now become populated. That's in verse 12. Please go home. Uh, no, I can't tell you to go home. You're already home, right? Uh, please, after this, if, you, if this tickles your fancy, please go back and read um, up on Ezekiel 38 and 39 because there is so much detail that I can't get into, okay? Now, what happens? They have a plan. Are they going to execute the plan? Will they succeed in executing the plan? Well, let's look at the next verse. What's going to happen? God executes his plan and launches an attack. Okay, he launches an attack, right? And Gog, uh, uh, in the midst of all this, Yahweh orchestrates uh, 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 this, right? Now, I'm just going to look, read for you this part, right? It's a little bit small. Hope you have your Bibles with you, okay? Um, this little part here, verse 16 says, In the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me when... Through you, God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So there is something happening here. Now, there is, um, there is a part somewhere in this text, right? I, I believe um, if you go back and read it, you will see it, right? Um, where God says, I will put hooks in your jaws and I will draw you to me. Okay, we're going to see that. Okay, I'm going to show you that in a moment. Okay, I'm going to put hooks in your jaws and I'm going to draw you to me. So God orchestrates this battle. 
it is part of God's plan. God is not panicking like, oh my gosh, people are attacking my people, right? That's not the posture of the throne room in heaven. God knows this. He orchestrates this. He has a purpose. He wants to vindicate his name. He's going to find an enemy of God who has already oriented their hearts against God. That has already been set. And then he's going to take that enemy. He's going to put a hook in their jaw. He's going to cause them to come and do battle. And in their coming and doing battle, God is going to vindicate his good name. Let's move on, okay? We're going to, we're, we're going to come back to God's vindicating his name later, right? Let's move on. But how does God, Yahweh, I'm going to use Yahweh a bit more so that it's very audibly very different from Gog, okay? If not, you hear Gog and then you hear God and then it might sound a little bit the same over Zoom, right? Now, Yahweh strikes back. Verse 18, he says, My wrath will be roused in anger, in my blazing wrath. Now, those are heavy words, okay? Those are heavy words. But remember, this is the final battle. In verse 19, weird things start to happen in terms of the battle, okay? And so, I want you all to be schooled correctly. When you see these things happen, and it's starting to sound like metaphorical language, and it's in Ezekiel, and it's in the, it's in the future, set possibly, like, very likely in the future, because it says in the latter days, it might just not be literal, okay? Okay, Sungai Bulo Church, if you see some of these things, it sounds extremely over-the-top and outlandish. It might just not be a literal thing. So what happens? Verse 19, there will be a great earthquake in Israel. If it is literal, it means that we are waiting for a literal earthquake. If it is not literal, it means that, that the foundations of life of thinking, of peace, of lifestyle, of the economy, of, of their agriculture, and all these things in Israel will be shaken. It will be shaken, okay? Now, if it's not literal. And then you can have another layer of not literal. Is Israel, 48 Israel, is Israel, all the Jews all over the world, is Israel, um, uh, like Galatians chapter 2, um, the, the spiritual Israel, you know, which Israel is it being referred to? Friends, Go study, get a conviction. It's okay, all right? Let's move on. Verse 20, The fish of the sea, birds of heaven, beasts of the field, and all the creeping things that creep on the ground, all of them will quake. So again, if it's literal, we are literally looking for, for ecology, for all the fauna in our ecology to change in their behaviours, okay? But if it is not literal, then we are looking at creation being, in, being shaped, right? Things are going to move and change the way um, um, the, even the animals are going to respond to, 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 to all these things happening, right? Now, just one quick one. When you read Ezekiel, there are shades of the rest of the Old Testament. Super a lot of shades, okay? So we're going to have to bear this in mind. Now, when I see fish of the sea, birds of heaven, beasts of the field, and all the creeping things that creep on the ground, what do you think of? What do you think of? I think of Eden. I think of the creation on day 5 and day 6. On day 5, all the fish of the sea were created. On day 6, all the, all, all the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground, those things were created. And so what does it mean? What could it mean it, now that you read this against the creation narrative? What it could mean is that all of the created order will be shaking. 
will be shaken. There will not be one thing uh, uh, um, um, in the last days that will not experience a transformation or an effect. Okay, now it goes on. Verse 20, mountains will be thrown down, cliffs fall, walls tumble. By the way, mountains thrown down. What does that remind you of? Look forward in your Bible. It, it kind of reminds me of when Jesus said that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it will be thrown, right? And so what does it mean now when you read verse 20 against, uh, against what Jesus said? Is it possible that verse 20 now has shades of the power of the believing Christian having faith to execute something in this world and they will see spiritual mountains being moved. We can see uh, uh, um, uh, uh, impossible situations being turned around. Could it have that reading? I'll let y'all be the judge of it. Verse 21, it says that I'll, I'll, I will raise a sword against you and that will cause brother to kill brother among you, among Gog's ranks. That's going to happen. And then verse 22, pestilence and bloodshed, followed by torrential rain, hailstones, fire, sulfur. All these things will rain down on Gog. And all of his, his God plus, right? It's kind of God plus because it's God plus all of his, his confederacy of enemies, right? Now, all of this pestilence, bloodshed, in some way, hailstones reminds me of the templates. It reminds me of the templates. Fire and sulfur reminds me of so the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah at the time of Abraham. Okay? Now, friends, what does this mean? When you read it against this, is Gog one specific nation that we are all waiting for? Or is God an archetype, a representation? It's okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. But I want to show you now that this little section there leads to God talking, showing you his agency, his power. God is active. Okay, well, this word here, agency, means that he is active, he takes initiative, he moves, okay? He does things. He doesn't sit around and wait. He's not passive. He has agency. Why? Because it says throughout this whole section, I am against you, Gog. I will turn you about. I will drive you forward. I will bring you up. I will lead you against. I will strike your bow. I will make your arrows drop, right? And if you look further up earlier, there is that text. I just can't find the verse. He says that I will put hooks in your jaws and pull you that is that that's kind of like a like, like a hunting a uh, 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 kind of metaphor where i'm gonna hook you like a fish and then i'm gonna pull you i'm gonna take you uh, to 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 what you're gonna do and then look at the stuff at the bottom i love it right it says you shall i will you shall i will do you all see that okay okay you shall i will but what is the you shall and i will you shall fall in the mountains i will give you to the birds of prey you shall fall in the open field. I will send fire upon Magog. This is like Panton Empat Kerat, right? Okay. Now, you shall fall in the mountains. You shall fall in the open field. Means that your falling will be extensive and everywhere. It doesn't just mean, oh, city le, city le, you know, don't have, no, that's not what it means, okay? It's metaphorical language, prophetic language. You shall fall in the mountains and the open field means that there is no battleground that you don't win in, that you don't die in, okay? You lose in every level, okay? I will give you to the birds of prey. I will send fire upon Magog. What does this mean? To die and then to be fed to the birds of prey is shameful. 
it is to not get a proper burial is shameful and it is uh, it speaks of the loss of dignity it is humiliating defeat so there is humiliation and shame over the enemies who thought that they could fight Gog, fight Yahweh, right? And then I will send fire. Now, fire upon death always speaks of judgment. So I want you to see this. The victory of God will be complete. There will be no battleground that God, Yahweh, does not win in. And the enemy will be utterly thrown down, defeated, shamed, humiliated, and exposed, and judged forever. This corresponds to Revelation. I want to show you now. Revelation chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and I will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. You see this, right? Okay? To gather them for battle. So he gathers all the enemies from the four nations, corners of the earth. It's consistent with what we're reading. Their number is like the sand in the sea, right? And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and, they, and the beloved city. But fire came from heaven and consumed them. We saw what fire means just now. Pestilence, bloodshed, hailstones, fire, all these things, right? and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Ezekiel 39, this set of verses, and Revelation 20 speak of the same last battle, final victory, and eternal. This is no longer like release for a thousand years type of thing. This is the eternal damnation of Satan once and for all salama lamania let's move on in defeating Gog verse 7 God vindicates his own name after his name had been profaned throughout all the lands right he finally vindicates his name and then he leaves his signature right and you will know that I am Yahweh he leaves his signature and he reminds everyone that he had already spoken of this already, right? He had earlier already prophesied this, right? Now, what else? What else? Now that Gog is defeated, okay, Gog's weapons will become fuel for fire. What does this remind you of? When weapons get transformed into something that becomes helpful to human life. What does, does it remind you of anything? For me, it reminds me of they will beat their swords to plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. To me, this is, I, I, see, I see these two coming together. They will beat the swords to plowshares. They will beat the spears into pruning hooks. Instruments of warfare become instruments of harvest and fruitfulness. Gog's weapons will be burnt up and become fuel for fire. And then there will be a replundering of lost, lost goods. Where, does the, where do we see shades of this? When you tie up a strong man, you can go into his house and plunder. If you don't tie up the strong man, you can't go into his house to plunder. Right? That's what Jesus said. Verse 11 and 13, Israel will take seven months to bury the dead. And when every bone is buried, the land shall finally be cleansed. 
Okay, then there is this kind of like almost non-secular thing, okay, it looks like, like they are buried already and then after this you're going to look at some corpses, okay. So actually what it's saying here is that they will be buried, it's talking about a later burial but before that burial takes place, let's look at what happens. In the next section, God will call all the birds and beasts to descend on the carcass of Gog. Okay, and, and there will be, it's a really bloody text, huh, by the way. If you go and look at it, it's like they drink the blood, uh, the birds and the animals drink the blood of, 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 of Gog's uh, uh, fallen uh, uh, carcasses until they're drunk. You know, it's like, it, and by the way, this is, is hyperlinked, cross-reference into Revelation 19, okay? Um, so let's take a look at the Revelation 19 part, right? Okay, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called out to the birds and fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. This is not just any man. These are, these are the bodies of the fallen soldiers of the enemy confederacy against God. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. So, epilogue. What's happening? The nations shall see Yahweh's glory. Israel shall know that Yahweh was at work. This is again his signature, right? Israel's earlier judgment and captivity was justly deserved, right? This is kind of weird because he's reminding them it was justly deserved. But a few more things on the epilogue, right? Move on to the next slide. But Yahweh will restore Israel. He will. His promise, Adonai Yahweh will restore Israel. They shall forget their shame and their treachery against God. Now, what does this remind you of? For, for the people of God, saved by God, to forget their shame. It reminds me of 1 John 1, 9. That those who confess their sins will be what? God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. We no longer carry our shame and our treachery against God. Why? Because all of that has been purged by the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. We shall finally dwell securely in the land. Remember pasture land? Where the sheep will be made to lie down, right? Finally, they can lie down in a safe, in a safe pasture land. God shall completely bring back the exile. Now, this might be Israel exile. This might be gathering of all of his people. Verse 28, we know one thing. He leaves his final signature. And you will know that I am Yahweh. And remember this one, right? Every time you see this text, and you will know that I am Yahweh, means that it's just not, it's not just like, and you know how powerful I am. What it means is, and you will know, if you wondered who did this, Yahweh did this. That's his signature, right? He leaves his imprimata of Yahweh there. You will know that Yahweh did this. Okay, let's move on. Now, wow. Just before we get into this, I'm going to address this question in a moment, but... Church, I don't want you all to be afraid of long sections of the Bible. Once in a while, we need to really get into a long stretch of the Bible and it's okay. You don't have to fear it, right? And we can get, we got through it, right? We got through it. It took us about half an hour, but we got through it, okay? And I'm just going to share a few more things with you uh, um, in terms of how we're going to go into the 40 days, okay? But I hope after today you feel fed. I hope after today you understand a little bit more. I don't want you to just hear all these things and it's head knowledge, right? But actually, I want to help you distill down two postures for 40 days. But just before we go uh, into, into two postures for 40 days, I want to pose this question. 
Last week, you all heard Pastor Ramesh share from chapter 37 that God brought Ezekiel, valley of dry bones, prophesied to the bones. Then Ezekiel prophesied and spoke life to the bones. The bones gathered, then bone and uh, became bone and sinew, muscle, tissue, and then skin, and then God breathed his ruach into this uh, 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 collection of, of human bodies, and they became an army. So if you read Ezekiel like a story, you know what you're expecting when you reach Gog and Magog? The army that was raised up from chapter 37 should be in the story, right? It's, it's natural. I, I don't know if you read Ezekiel, you wait for it or not. I'm waiting for it. I'm like, where's the army from chapter 37? Last chapter, they were there. You've raised up an army. Next chapter, enemy of God comes. Bertembung, right? Perang, right? You're waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. But it's so weird. You don't see this army at all. All, not mentioned even once. Does it mean that they are irrelevant? Does it mean that the army that was raised up from chapter 37 was just there? It's like one separate story and, and, and that is like, you know, um, Ezekiel's collection of short stories where one story is not connected to the next. Or is the army raised up in chapter 37 still relevant to the whole thing that's happening with Gog and Magog? Bookmark. We'll come back to this. But for now, two postures for us to take into our 40 days of fasting and praying. Number one, posture number one, we can be still in the storm. Posture number two, we can be secure in His promise. Okay? Okay, church? We can be still in the storm and secure in His promise. When I say still in the storm, I want to show you this, right? Number one, within still in the storm, church, this 40 days, please don't pray yourself into a frenzy. Please don't pray yourself into a feverish, fearful, panicky frenzy. That is not the posture of a secure church. That is not the posture of a church who stands on the anchored on the solid ground of the, of the, of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We don't pray ourselves into more fear, more, more uncertainty, more anxiety. If, that, if your praying is going to lead you into more fear, uncertainty, frenzy, feverish, worrying, don't pray. I'd rather you don't pray. You're worse off compared to where you started. If you want to pray, pray in such a way that you feel more hopeful, more strong, more empowered, more protected, more secure, that you're standing on solid ground. If you want to pray, pray in such a way that you pray into the power of a good God who is for you, not against you. Don't pray until you're scared. Don't pray until you're scared. You know what happens, what causes us to pray until we're scared? When we tell God how big our mountain is, that's what happens that makes us scared. God, you know COVID so big already, you know. God, you know 20,000 already, you know. God, you know parliament so long already, you know. God, you know all these things, people dying, you know. God, you see or not the video, you saw or not, the people are falling over on the floor, you know. But hey, you know what, you pray like that, you're going to be more scared. I'd rather you watch Netflix. I'm not kidding. At least you stay neutral, right? And, and, and you're not becoming a negative force in this world, spreading more fear through WhatsApp or through whatever. Don't, don't, don't pray like that. 
You want to know what kind of prayer leaves you feeling more powerful? When you tell your mountain how big your God is. That's going to leave you feeling more empowered. That's going to leave you feeling more strong that your Christ is big and strong and He is over this. He is sovereign. Tell the mountain how big your God is. Oh, COVID, my God is big. Oh, COVID, my God has parted the seas before He can drive you out in a snap. Oh, Parliament of Malaysia, my God is stronger, my God is greater. He has ultimate authority over every government and He has authority over you and everything you can do right now, He is permitting for a sovereign purpose. There is nothing, no evil you can do, no wickedness you can do that can cause Malaysia to go down without God allowing it and God will not allow it. My God is greater, stronger and the government is upon His shoulders. You want to pray? Tell your mountain how big your God is. That's our posture this 40 days. Can we pray like that, church? Let's pray like that, church. And I know some of us are worried and I need to share that with you. Some of us are languishing and we're struggling and every day is just so sin and you're in your heart, you're like, you're wilting, right? Sudah layu, semua sudah layu, right? Okay? If you are languishing, we need to discover the language of lament. You need to be able to be honest with where you're at before God. You cannot go and pretend and go before God and go like, yay God, I'm supposed to show up with you, you know, and be full of faith, right? I'm, I'm supposed to be positive thinking, you know, and you go before God and you try to bring the positive thinking, you know, and you don't have a sanctified place for you to, 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 to be honest with your negative emotions. And you know what? It doesn't go away. It's like a leak in your roof, right? It's just going to, water's just going to travel and you plug the whole one place and you don't deal with the leak. The water's just going to keep traveling until they find some crack and then it starts going down some ceiling in your house. That's what it looks like when we don't deal with our negative emotions in a sanctified way. And where is that place to deal with that negative emotions? It is in prayer so that we can reclaim the language of lament. It's a valid language. The Bible is full of God's men and women lamenting before God, just crying before Him. And it's okay. You don't always have to show up to God and look spectacular. It's okay. Okay, and then stand back, watch God work. I want to show you this, right, with the Bible. How many of you guys were there when Reverend Yu Hong Singh uh, uh, was sharing um, at, on Friday night from Psalm 46, right? I was washing the dishes and then my hands were full of suds and I heard him talk about Psalm 46 and I ran out from the kitchen to watch him on my computer, you know, because I had the Bluetooth speaker on. I'm like listening to him and then my soap suds are dripping and then I go back, you know, and that's how I took in the launch of the 40 days, right? Now, what he shared was this. I want to, let me show you, let me show you the text, right? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. All the red boxes, I want you to see shades of Gog and Magog. Earth gives way, mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, waters roar and foam, mountains tremble at its swelling. Verse 6, nations rage. Kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease. This is our God, right? When Yahweh strikes back, he makes the wars to cease. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. Literally, this picture, he called, he, I will make the bow fall from your hand, right? And then he says, he burns the chariots with fire. All the red boxes, 
hyperlink it to Gog and Magog. It's there. Okay? Psalm 46 is giving you strength to face the last days. And it's giving you strength to face today. And all the highlighted parts I want to show you shows that you can be still and know that I am God, that God is God, right? You can be still in the midst of the chaos and know that God is God. God is in the midst of her. Actually, right, there are two selahs here. Three selahs means that this psalm is broken into three. Part one, part two, part three, broken up by three pauses, right? The middle section really doesn't feel like warfare law. The middle section suddenly like so serene, so calm. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, right? It's like suddenly everything is so calm. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved, right? But by, by the way, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Later in Ezekiel, we're going to look at the river that comes out from the throne room, right? or from the center of the temple, right? And then that stream becomes a river. It's, we're looking at that river, okay? And then eventually you get to the city of God, right? That's our final sermon in this Ezekiel series, right? Okay, so, so there's some relationship there, but I can't get into it. And then look at this. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. As a people of God, church, God is in the midst of her us he has come down why john chapter 1 verse 14 the word became flesh and came to tabernacle in the midst of us right and not just that every single one of us jesus has sent us the holy spirit remember pentecost so that the holy spirit has come to dwell in the midst of us individual christians as well and therefore she shall not be moved god will help her when the morning dawns the lord of hosts is with us emmanuel god with us jesus is in our midst the god of jacob is our fortress we don't have to be afraid just be still know that god is god that yahweh is god amen amen now i want to talk a little bit about recovering the language of lament let me show you this psalm psalm 77 pastor ramesh had the anointing of god to release psalm 77 three weeks ago in our dominate altar and and then as i continue to dwell on psalm 77 i'm going to tiktok pastor ramesh because i'm going to take this and then you know do more things with it right but psalm 77 look at the structure i'm just going to read the first uh, two lines of each right? it's color-coded blue beige and red okay blue i will cry aloud to the god to god aloud to god and he will hear me in the days of my trouble i seek the lord right he's crying he's lamenting in beige i remember the deeds of the lord yes i will remember your works of all i will ponder i will meditate your way is holy that sounds like how we normally pray the blue part doesn't sound like how we pray right i'm so troubled i cannot speak i consider my days you know let me remember my song in the night we don't pray like that right we don't know how to pray like that right beige part we know how to pray like that oh lord i proclaim that you are good right and then the red part when the water saw you, oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. We got water afraid on, right? But water's afraid, right? Okay? The deep trembled, clouds poured out water, the arrows flashed on like arrows flashed on every side, crash of thunder, lightning light up the world, right? Uh, the earth uh, trembled and shook. Hey, there's some there's some God and God happening here as well, right? Because the natural world starts shaking, right? Now, how do we interpret a psalm like this? There are three movements, three very clear movements. The first one, let's go to the next slide. The first movement is a movement of lament. You have to go through lament. 
If you are feeling crummy, you cannot short circuit and start declaring things. So my Bulo Church, let's be real. You, you think you can actually do it in an honest way when you're feeling really, really down to just go and start like, you know, um, doing all that? You can try. And maybe, maybe on sometimes you can somehow squash the, 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 the feelings of, of pain and all that stuff. But you know what? The Bible gives us a language to lament. So you can go in and say, God, where are you? God, why are you so far? God, we've been crying out for so long and it's okay. I let you all through this at what, two dominates ago, right? So you all have seen this before, some of you who are in Dominate, right? He goes through nine verses of lament, followed by five lines of declaration. That's our native tongue. We declare, we speak the power of God. And then he stands back. And guess what? The last five lines, it's all God's, God's I will put hooks in your jaws, I will destroy you, I will flash lightning, mountains will tremble. By that time, we be still and know that God is God. You'll see that or not. You'll see, you'll see the posture of the praying Christian in 40 days. If you are languishing, go ahead and lament before God. It's an okay language. All the psalmists could do it. So God's not going to say, why are you so negative thinking? God's not going to say that. He's going to hear your heart. And after you've purged all those toxins, then you can eat healthy food. Because when you've got a stomach bug and you're like, you're, you're, you're like you know, in a mess, the, the, the antidote to that is not to pump yourself with more vitamins and more healthy food. You have to purge the toxins. Lament is for purging the toxins in a sanctified way. Then you can declare. Once the, once the rubbish has gone out, then you can declare the power of God. And then you will stand back and see God act, my friends. The antidote to what's happening out there. Lament, then give de declaration and stand back. Watch God work. Amen? Amen? This is one posture that Gog and Magog can help us into, into praying in these 40 days. Why? Because, you know, notice the whole thing, huh? like I shared with you all just now, huh? you don't see the army that Israel raised up. Huh? You don't see the ting 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 battle. Huh? You don't see that. Huh? Everything is God's initiative. The whole 38, 39 is virtually in those red five lines there. Everybody stands back, stand back, watch God work. Pum, 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 pum. God. Like Reverend Yu Hong Seng shared, Hezekiah looked out his window the next morning, 285,000 of the soldiers of, uh, of the Philistines and everybody else, all dead. That is, by the way, that is like the whole of Bernabal, the whole of Camp Nou, and the whole of like Old Trafford plus Anfield. Okay, that, that's, that's that size of people, 285,000. Okay, that's what it looks like. Church, stand and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Next point. Next point. You can be secure in His promise. And with this, I'm going to close, right? Remember when I shared with you that God made a covenant? God made a covenant. I will be your shepherd. You will be my sheep, right? Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, um, He made a covenant. In, in that pastoral land sermon. If you missed it, you can go on YouTube and check it out, okay? He made a covenant. I will be your shepherd. You will be my sheep. As long as you stay faithful sheep to me, I will be a faithful shepherd to you, right? Now, and then he said in the New Heart uh, sermon that I shared with you from chapter 35, I will vindicate my own name. 
right? And then I couldn't get in, I couldn't tackle it on that day and I still can't tackle it in a huge way. I gave you a, a, a video to go and watch. I don't know how many of y'all did. It's okay. But let me show you how covenant language works. Next slide, right? Covenant language goes, I will be your God. You will be my people. As long as you stay faithful to being my people, I will stay faithful to being your God. And in a covenant like this, who initiates it? God initiates it. God reached out to every single one of us and laid before us the offer of a covenant. Like PSG going to Messi and saying, I give you a covenant, right? I give you a covenant, two years plus one year. That's a contract, not a covenant, right? Nobody's going to shed blood over that one, right? Um, but when God comes to you, He seeks you out and gives you an offer of a covenant. I be your God, you be my people. I will be the protector, the one who is going to look after you. You stay faithful to me. And if anybody breaks this covenant, even if it's you who breaks this covenant, I will suffer for it because the breaking of covenant is paid by bloodshed. And so who pays through bloodshed for our breaking of covenant? Jesus pays through bloodshed for the our breaking up so that we can be recovenanted back with the Father. That's covenant language. Now let's go to the next one. Israel has been scattered, right? Remember when I shared with you all the overview, right? In the 30th year of the blah, 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 here I stood by the Kiba channel, right? They are foreigners flung everywhere. You know what happens when they're flung everywhere? People, foreign lands, look at them and they say what? What kind of Czech guy God you have? What kind of lousy God you have? Two possibilities. I thought about this. It comes down to two possibilities. One, your God is weak. Two, your God is untrustworthy. Either your God is weak, he tried to fight, but he cannot defend you, or he bluff you. He said he will be your God, you will be his sheep, but he bluff you. Of course, there's a third option, which is that your God doesn't exist, right? Okay. And that's what it means when, when God, when Yahweh says, my name was profane throughout all the earth. Everywhere you went to, my name got profaned there. Why? Because everywhere Israel went to, through diaspora, everywhere Israel went to when they were scattered, the people of that land said, your God is weak or your God cannot be trusted because you have lost your walls. Nobody protected you. And then remember, there is a covenant. God said, I will be your God. And we hear a lot about Israel breaking covenant. We hear a lot about Israel breaking covenant. But you know what's the problem we're facing right now? It is not an issue of Israel breaking covenant. The issue on the line is, has God broken covenant? Has God failed in His part to be their God? That's what's on the line. That's what God says. That's what Yahweh means when He says, everywhere you went, my name got profane. Is that the perception is that I have broken covenant. I am not a covenant-keeping God. And then he says, but I will vindicate my name. And I make a promise to you, I will hold to that promise. And so he rains down hail, bloodshed, pestilence, sulfur, fire on the enemies of God 
so that he can decisively and devastatingly show that I am a covenant-keeping God. I keep my word. I promised you I will be your God. Ultimately, you will see it happen. I will keep my promise. My word is good. My covenant is real. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to protect you so decisively and so devastatingly that they will know Yahweh did this. Amen. And this is the posture I want every single one of us to go into 40 days with. That when we go into prayer, we go and stand in the security of the promises of God. We stand in the security of our salvation. We stand in the security of His protection over us. We stand in the security of His covenantal love for us, His chesed for us. He, we stand in that. You can be strong in that. That He is not going to let one hair of your, of your head fall into Sheol. You will not die. Even if you die, you will not die in vain. Nobody dies in vain. In God's kingdom, everyone dies and lives forevermore. And we can be secure in that. Amen. Two postures. Right? Number one, you can be still in the storm. Number two, you can stand secure in His promise. And let's close now. With those, with that army from chapter 37. Where are they? You know, my friends, Gog was never a geopolitical actual player on the land. And so, I'm inclined to think that God, that Gog could at least represent the demonic power above every principality, because he says he's a prince over Meshach and Tubal. He's a chief prince over Meshach and Tubal. So my, my best guess, my best reading, it's not a guess, it's a reading, is that Gog is the demonic principality above any time an army or a gathering of people rise up and coalate in order to tentang with God. That's Gog. And if that is Gog, then in all likelihood, this final battle will not just be an earthly battle, it will be an earthly and a spiritual battle. There will be spiritual war in heaven. And my reading is, chapters 37, 38 and 39 gives you mostly the glimpse of what is happening in a spiritual lens. I don't mean just in the spiritual world, through a spiritual lens which means that it's looking at what's happening on earth through what's happening in the spiritual world. Remember what Galatians 6 says, we do not fight just with, against flesh and blood, but against every power and principality. This battle is not just spiritual, so don't over-spiritualize it. This battle is not just physical. Don't be too, don't under-spiritualize it. Put on the, Paul says, the full armor of God. Don't just put on the armor to fight physical battles. Don't just put on the armor to fight spiritual battles. In other words, don't just fast but pray. Church, I believe, and this is my reading, that the army that was raised up in chapter 37 was praying. That the army 
of Israel, raised up, God breathed His Ruach into them. The Spirit has been, has been deposited inside this army. So they are not just a living animated army, they are a spiritual army. And what would a spiritual army do? A spiritual army will trust in the Lord, they will intercede, they will stand before Him, they will pray, and they will, they will put their trust in the Lord, and the Lord brings deliverance. Church, you can read this as an end times thing. But if you only read it as an end times thing, it has no relevance to us today. Or you can say that today, I want to be like the army that was raised up in chapter 37. I want to be like that army that was raised up by Yahweh, breathed in life, breathed in by Yahweh, so that I can stand together with all my fellow soldiers and for 40 days, we're going to storm the gates of hell that will not prevail against the storming of the church. Remember, the gates of hell stand still, the church advances. It's not the other way around. And the church will storm against those gates and bring them down, go in and plunder for souls, plunder for lives, plunder for resource, plunder for all these things because the enemy has kept things behind enemy lines for way too long and the call over the church right now is to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and stand, be still, know that God is God and watch him bring deliverance and that's what we're gonna do right now for one minute i want every single one of you to just pray right now in your homes i'm going to be praying in tongues okay and i'm going to release this this power of god for all of us to just come into his presence and pray right now remember that one thing you're crying out for victory let's pray right now father in the name of jesus by the power of the blood of christ shed on the cross i speak life over malaysia father by the power of your resurrection from the dead. I speak a new life over Malaysia, Lord God. Father, I prophesy dry bones in Malaysia to come back alive. I prophesy your goodness and might and power to come upon every single one of us. Malaysians and foreigners in Malaysia, you will be blessed because the Lord has heard our prayers. The Lord sees you. The Lord sees your cry. And we will say to every one of our mountains, in the name of Jesus, be uprooted and thrown into the sea because Jesus is king. We stand on solid ground. His death and resurrection has defeated every power and principality of darkness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ defeats decisively and devastatingly the chief prince over Meshach and Tubal and over Malaysia. Every evil spiritual power be broken, be rent into and be torn in the name of Jesus Christ because the power of the living God is upon us in our midst tabernacling in us and raising up spiritual power to flow out of us and out of our ministry so that the power of the living God will shine light into darkness so that a people who lived in darkness shall see a great light. Father, thank you, Lord God, that we can enter 40 days in spiritual might, fervor, have two feet planted on the ground as realistic prophetic Christians. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity for all the churches in Malaysia to gather for 40 days and to pray and to pray. In Jesus' name, we just commit our 40 days into your hands. May you sanctify it. May you make it holy. May you make it powerful. May you make it worthy. Amen.
And may you author new faith inside us so that we can believe that when things that come out from our mouths are prophetic and that they are in alignment with what you are doing and speaking from heaven and that you will bring a victory and the battle belongs to you. So church, so church, I just want to bless you right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Oh, when God looks upon you, may the Lord turn His countenance towards you and give you shalom. And all of God's people, shout aloud, Amen.